0: Welcome to this week's Leader's Guide for the Spring Quarter of Life Groups. This resource is provided to help you prepare and effectively lead your group. For your convenience, you can also download a written version of the guide under Life Group Leader Tools at gatewaycrc.org forward slash lifegroups. Remember to tune in each week and to look out for the weekly edition of Life Group Leaders Weekly. Let's join Adam Van Dopp now as he introduces this week's material. Well, hello there, Life Group leaders. This is week number five of the winter 2023 semester of Life Groups here at Gateway Church. And we are continuing on in our exploration of First Corinthians. You know, there's a lot to learn and a lot to be challenged by in this incredible book. And uh, I just hope and pray that you all are being encouraged, edified and challenged equally in all of this adventure. Well, let's jump into our material for this coming week as we enter into our Life Groups for another uh, timeframe of gathering around God's Word and centering ourselves on prayer. Well, leaders, also ahead of time, I just want to say a huge thank you. Thank you for taking on this opportunity to lead leaders and be members of Christ Church. Uh, Many of you have been doing this for for many years and others of you have entered into just your first and your second uh, seasons here of Life Good Leaders here at Gateway. And as we set out a number of years ago, we could just continue to pray that the Lord would bless you in your ministry, that he would use uh, the things that you do with your groups to care for and to nurture his people. And you know, actually, we we do see that happening week to week through the chit-chats as our groups settle in to meet, through the intentional conversations around God's word, through the prayers that are being prayed for each and every one of our members. And it's just a beautiful thing. So we just pray that you all be richly blessed in your ministry and that the Lord would be glorified in and through your commitment. Uh, so let's uh, jump into a few announcements for this coming week. Uh, a- attendance, surf projects, pictures, those are all important things. You know what to do with all of those. So again, send and do and please act on these things. But just as a reminder, I'm away for a bit. Coming up from February 8th through to the 21st, I'll be traveling with the Philippines missions team. So I just ask that uh, you just uh, be diligent in prayers for this particular team as we serve in a really an amazing way. But also just a reminder that all the material will be uploaded ahead of time and that uh, you make sure that you are picking out the right stuff for the particular week that you are in. And I think that's gonna be okay. But either way, long and short of this, let's get into the material that we're talking about for this coming week, number five, as we enter into First Corinthians chapter 2, straight up verse six. So you're gonna start your evening off, your moment off, your gathering uh, with getting to know you questions. And the first one here is, what has been your favorite decade and why? Well, it seems like as we've been crafting some of these these questions, we've been looking back a lot into our, our histories and into our past, and, uh, and that's partly not on purpose and partly on purpose. Uh, you know, when we look back and we share about our lives that we've lived and we we learn a little bit more about each other. And I think that moment is a special moment for you and your groups, as those moments can do so much to bring together your group as a a group of friends, really, as a close-knit community to support each other and to share uh, each other's burdens and journeys with each other. Uh, You'll see from as you share how uh, these particular experiences uh, form particular bonds and they bring us to closer together in our deeperness uh, with humanity really around us. And I, I think just think it's, it's, it's a, such an important thing for us to do so I hope and pray that that goes well. Second question is, how would you describe your job to a five-year-old? Well, this is just a neat challenge. Just enjoy it. And I was trying to think as we were putting this together that what would I tell a five-year-old what I do for work? And there's a funny story back there in that, uh, long and short, i keep this quick, in that uh, when I was five, I, I was in a circle with a friend of mine. He was a pastor's kid. My dad built houses and we were talking about the things that we had to do uh, and the things that we saw our dads doing. And uh, as my turn came around, I bragged that my dad builds houses and that's like the coolest thing in the world. But then when my buddy David went to share, I cut him off and I was like, ah, his dad just walks around the church all day. Well, I work on that. Now that's what I do and it's kind of fun. Either way, how would you describe your job to a five-year-old? Moving on, quick review section. Looking back at your notes from this week's teaching, was there anything that particularly caught your attention, challenged, or confused you? Again, each week I say lead by example. Second question, we unfortunately don't have this ahead of time because I've prepared all this ahead of time, but uh, it will be there in the guide for you when you get to it um, uh, at the right time. So that's okay, we'll get on with our programming here. into your moment of scripture review read first corinthians chapter 2 verses 6 through to 16. talk about the character of god talk about where we as humanity find ourselves in this world and talk about how uh, we have sin in our life and that this passage might expose some of it and call us to change but overall talk about what strikes you about this passage and as you begin to dig deeper speaking of which Let's go into the Digging Deeper section where we ask the first question, read 1 Corinthians 2 verses eight. If the first century Jewish and Roman rulers did come to an understanding and turn to follow Christ, how might history have been different? Would Christ's life still impact us now in the 21st century? Well, this is a rather interesting thing to think about as we take a journey into the first letter to the Corinthians, which is filled with many challenging topics, all because a small group of people also didn't fully understand who Jesus was and what he really came to do. It's similar to asking what would the world look like if Eve, the first lady, never succumbed to the serpent's invitation to enjoy that fruit in the Garden of Eden. If that were the case, where Eve was obedient to God's command, surely somewhere down the line someone would have messed up. If not Adam, one of their kids. If not one of their kids, one of their grandkids. It's going to happen. You see, God didn't create robots. So with, with the rulers in Paul's time, there was already a society that was entrenched in sin and brokenness. If they, if they did catch on and followed Christ, surely in their own humanity or that of their followers, someone would have fallen, and a similar letter would have been penned. That's the reality of total depravity. So short of Jesus, we are not capable of being fully good, which means that even if those rulers were obedient, they would have fallen at some point. Question number two. Read Corinthians 2 verses 9. While Paul alludes to Isaiah 64 verse 4, we see that God has a certain perspective that we do not. We are very much limited by a narrow view and a a minute vantage point. Yet we still try to control our lives. Why is that? Well, God knew what he was doing in Genesis 3 at the fall. He knew what he was doing in Matthew 27 at the crucifixion. He also knew very much the reality of Revelation 21, where we hear about the new heavens and the new earth. Yet in all of this, while we might be quick to agree that the Lord has a sovereign plan, we still don't fully submit or surrender ourselves to it. We still try to make our plans and try to manage our future. We might say it is in God's hands with our mouths, but with our hands and our feet, we say to ourselves and to the world around us, it's okay, we've got it. Think about this concept this way, and this, I hope, will blow your mind to a point if you haven't ever thought of this. You see, God created time, and all in humanity are bound by time. And when you consider it this way, You begin to see that god exists outside of time and that he holds the time the moving clocks in his hand and he set the sun moon and stars in their orbits around the sun and he holds those things in his hands and he watches them spin he created time and he can actually remember what's in the past and the future and the current and it's amazing what the the perspective of god can think about But you and I, we can only grasp what is now, in this very moment, what is in front of our noses and not much else. We can only imagine what lies ahead. Well, when we put it this way, we begin to only scratch at the surface at comprehending the magnitude of God's knowledge and his depth of his plans. So, bullet point question here. Now explore, read Isaiah 64 verses four through nine and Matthew 26 verses 39. What does it mean to surrender to the potter's hands? How does that actually look? So I put an image there in the Leader's Guide, the printed version, of a potter working uh, a piece of clay on this wheel that is spinning, and their hands are filled with clay, there's clay all over their apron, there's clay all over the walls. This is a messy, dirty atmosphere. So the image of God in the potter, uh, in Scripture, is a very rich and powerful image. And so uh, the image there on the right is there's this lump of clay, the hands working the clay. God is the Father uh, working that, that clay. And you might even think that the water being used to soften the clay in the process is the work of the Holy Spirit. And even the table spinning round is Jesus holding us up to the Father for that very fashioning. Now, the question here I ask in, in the guide here is, does the clay have any say in what it becomes? Does this clay have anything to do with its final outcome? Well, I think the obvious answer is, well, no, It's it has no choice to become what the artist will make. Is it a cup? Is it a bowl? Is it a vase? Well, We don't know, but notice also in the picture, the potter's hands and that they're just incredibly messy, but it points to just how much the artist leans into their work with their sleeves rolled up with mess all over their apron, all over the walls. It's likely on the floor, probably on their face. Well, how does this look for like for the lump of clay? It's got to let go of making all of life's decisions all on one's own that's you and i it's all about submitting to the work of the spirit to soften us so that the lord can fashion into us the vessel that reflects himself in his son take the conversation just another step further read luke 9 verses 23 to 24. what does surrendering to the potter have to do with taking up one's cross so surrendering to the potter is all about letting god fashion you into whatever it is that he desires you to be like we already talked about just priorly. Taking up one's cross you now has a bit of a different angle, and, and I want you as leaders to do your best to help your members understand the distinction between these two conversations, but yet the similarity that will launch us into. So the phrase here about taking up one's cross has normally been seen as someone taking up their own burdens on their backs and, and owning them, saying like, well, my illness is my burden to bear or my dead end job is the weight trying to crush me and it's mine to manage. Well, that's not what Jesus was getting at. You see, as Christ was carrying his own cross through the crowds of Jerusalem that that fateful day, that one moment, no one there who was watching him do this would have ever thought something symbolic was happening, that Jesus was carrying his burdens of this world on his shoulders. No, they physically saw him carrying the device meant to inflict the greatest of pains and torture on his particular body. And so this command that Jesus then extends to us to take up one's cross means that we must be willing to die for the sake of Christ and for the work in his world that we are to do. It's also an acknowledgement of dying to self, which is a call for us to surrender completely and wholly to the Lord. It means setting aside our own personal fascinations and plans so that the Lord's will, his kingdom, will be pursued. Follow up with reading into Question number three, read 1 Corinthians 2 verses 12, John 14 verses 15 and 18, 25 to 26, and 20 verse 22. It is commonly understood that the Holy Spirit wasn't given until Acts chapter two, after Christ ascended into heaven. In these passages we've just read, we've seen now a slightly different picture. But as you do this, additionally read Genesis one verse one, where it in turn shows us that the spirit was present and active since before the days of creation. What did this now mean for the Corinthian church, and what does it mean for us now? Well, this is a very intriguing discussion that can have all sorts of angles and directions to follow. The point here is to follow the concept that the Spirit of God, of his truth, has been present and active since before the days of creation, where the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters in Genesis 1. And then you can follow the Spirit's presence through the Old Testament and then into a new personal way as we enter into the New Testament. This meant that for the Corinthian church that they had access to the Lord's truth and his way of working through the Spirit of God and how that was given to them. And they, the Corinthians didn't fully realize this. And we see and hear that they went through all different directions and they faced great difficulties as a result of the internal pride and selfishness. This means the same for us now, that now, as Paul writes to verse 13, that we were taught by the Spirit, and we can see that we were taught by the Spirit. The things that we know about the Lord, about Christ, about his church, we know because of the work of the Spirit has been brought to us and has been brought up, bringing us to an understanding of it all. You may find in your group different levels of understanding here, so consider this additional question. How do we know that what we know is from the Spirit of God and not the world? It may sound more simply than it needs to be, but the test is this. Does what we know line up with Scripture? Can it be confirmed by our trusted community of believers? Let's now take it home with this final question. Read 1 Corinthians 2, verses 16. In our sinful nature, we forget that we have access to Christ and specifically to his mind and, and knowledge of his desire for us. How do we train our hearts, our minds, and our souls to access him? Well, if you did the additional question from above, from earlier, this question will end up being a little more redundant, but not a worthless endeavor. So uh, do still uh, explore it as it does take a different spin. Preparing and training take a little bit more effort and a focus than simply being aware that the Spirit is at work. Training suggests that there's an effort and an activity on our part to lean into what the Spirit is doing. We can't just assume that in a snap of our fingers that we're going to get all the things that the Spirit wants us to have. Yeah, there's some cool things that the Spirit can do, and I'm not going to limit Him. But I want to also explain this and talk about this for a second, is that There's this, in this movie called Evan Almighty, there's this really neat interaction here uh, between God and this particular character. So this movie is a modern day telling of Noah and the Ark where uh, Steve Carell plays Noah and uh, this world's coming to an end and Noah has to build this Ark. Well, his, his name's actually Evan in the movie, but whatever, whatever. God is played by Morgan Freeman and interacts with the Noah character's wife named Joan. Well, Joan in this coffee shop, she's upset and she's out of patience with her husband's antics around building this particular ark. And God says to this woman, he says, if someone prays for patience, do you think that God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? He carries on saying, if someone prayed for their family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to actually then love each other? Well, the implication here is that God or the Spirit doesn't necessarily zap his people with these things, but guides them through a process of learning and discovery. Can he zap them? I think, yes, I think God can give us those things, but I don't think that's the regular pattern. And that's why it's so rich and important for us to be part of these faith communities where conversation is shared in common, where biblical themes are explored. And that's why it's so important to be in study of God's word and being in communication with him, God Almighty. So, And all those activities and moments of training all lead to more awareness of the Spirit's activity in our lives. Well, leaders, once again, I want to say thank you for your work. Thank you for your, your involvement in Gateway Church, for doing the work that it is that you're doing in leading and guiding God's people into meaningful relationships that are centered on God's word and prayer. Leaders, I pray for your week, uh, much ahead of time, that it'll be a blessing to yourselves and to your members. We'll catch up when I'm back, but blessings to you. We'll see you then. Bye.